see trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue for me and you, and I think to myself. Virgin Valley Artists Association welcomes you to the Art Box, recorded in our beautiful Mesquite, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association has something for everyone of all ages. Come and get creative with us at 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, or find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, or on Facebook as Mesquite Fine Art Center, also on Facebook, the Art Box. Today's guest is Paul Atkinson. Paul and I, although we've never met face-to-face, have chatted quite a bit because he followed me as Night Sky Artist-in-Residence for Capitol Reef National Park. I was there in 2022. Paul just finished his. He was there in 2023. He is an amazing night sky photographer, and we'll dig deep into of how he takes his night sky pictures and how he got to this place in life. Paul is retired, so we'll talk a little bit about that too. Welcome to Paul Atkinson. Good afternoon, Paul. Hello, how are you doing? Just wonderful. How about you? All right. Good to finally talk to you. So how are things in North Carolina today? Things are fine. It's uh, low 80s today. It's going to get cooler tomorrow, but uh, yeah, I've been enjoying some last summer weather i guess yeah i betcha i've been looking at your photography you are amazing sir i have to tell you great stuff i i had no idea that though that even when we were talking last year that you lived in north carolina so um you made quite the trip i think i think you drove right no i flew salt lake city or las vegas yeah salt lake city okay Okay, and my partner Linda's not here today. She's up in Salt Lake City for an eye appointment. So I'm all by myself, and um, my wife was telling me, you know, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm a night sky photographer, so I'll probably have a million questions for him. So you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, Paul? Yes, uh, my name is Paul Atkinson. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and um, I won't lie, I love night sky photography. I love infrared photography as well. Shortly before the pandemic, I had had, had a camera converted to uh, infrared, which of course I didn't know the pandemic was coming. But once everything shut down and I couldn't go anywhere, infrared gave me a chance to, uh, you know, to explore the world around me uh, all over again. And of course, uh, continued on with, uh, you know, night photography. And I guess I guess that's about it in a nutshell. So now I think you said you're retired. You were an engineer. Yes. Yes, I am. Yes, I was a civil engineer. Uh, for over 30 years and uh, finally retired from that and and joined working on my art full-time now. Okay. Um, great. Where Can you talk about where you worked at? Or uh, Yes, I work for the uh, North Carolina Department of Transportation. Oh, okay. So you work for the state. Yes. Now, you mentioned infrared photography. How about telling our listeners what is infrared photography? All modern digital camera sensors can see infrared light. But the camera manufacturers put a filter on it to uh, filter out the infrared light because otherwise our pictures would come out looking kind of funny. You know, obviously when we take a picture at a birthday party or wherever, we wanted, you know, we want the colors to look like we see them. 
However, uh, you can, uh, there are several places where you can send your camera off and get it modified where they've removed the, um, the infrared filter that's on top of the camera sensor and they place another one on there which either will only let in infrared light or will let in, uh, you know, the visible and infrared, uh, you know, which is called a full spectrum conversion. And then from there, you can put filters on the end of the lens to select whether you want all infrared light or infrared plus a portion of the visible spectrum, which would then give you a little bit of color. Uh, so that's uh, basically that's that's how that's done. And what it does is it really opens up a new tonality in the world around you. You know, sunlight on foliage it is, is a lot lighter. Blue skies are typically darker. Water is typically darker. And, uh, you know, everything else in between can take on a, a whole different tonality. And um, and I found that it really invigorated my work and, you know, my appreciation of you know, what was around me and just exploring, you know, what would this look like in infrared light? Well, let's find out. Once you do that, can you use the camera otherwise? I, I guess yeah, I should. It, it, I guess it, I should define otherwise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, back back to uh, just visible light. Yes, if you get a the full spectrum conversion, then you can just put a a filter on the end that will then filter out the infrared light and just let the visible light through, and then you're back to uh, being able to shoot with visible light. Of course, it's not as convenient as your stock camera because. Now you got to have a filter to put on the end of the lens, and depending if you've got lenses that are different diameters, you got to have different filters or, you know, figure that out somehow. The easiest way is to get an extra camera, which I bought one on eBay and then had that converted, so I still had my main camera, plus I had this other one, which I, you know, then was able to use for infrared or conceivably could be used for a backup camera for visible. When did you become serious with your photography? Yes, because I, you know, I experimented briefly when when I was a teenager with mothers and cast off camera. You know, of course, this was all back in the film and uh, uh, flashball days. Um, yeah, that was that was brief. And then I had a point in shooting in college, which I used intermittently, and you know, through the early years uh, of my, you know, my family. But it was just let's see, probably about 2014, maybe when I decided that I wanted to be smarter than the camera for once. <laughs> and uh, I absorbed all the information I could. I had, uh, some years before, I had gotten my wife a uh, digital point-and-shoot camera back when I was still unsure of, you know, the jump to digital because at that point, you know, in the early days of digital, it was, it was fairly crude, and, and I was definitely sticking with film. But uh, w with that came some coupons at the, the local camera store where I bought the camera where you could take uh, classes. So I, I attended those and, you know, uh, took notes and kind of filed it away and then didn't really do a whole lot with it. And then, you know, once I decided that I really wanted to, you know, know more about this and be more in control rather than just having the camera on program mode and having it give me whatever it gave me, then I really started to, you know, to research. I mean, you know, online, there was, oh boy, there was a wealth of information uh, you know, YouTube videos, people explaining, you know, all kinds of things, uh, ebooks on on all these things. So, yeah, I, I really, really absorbed a lot of information, which was extremely helpful. Okay. Do you do any other art? Do you paint, draw? I do not. When I was in college, I had a comic strip in the uh, college paper. I guess that's that's about it. I mean, I've always been uh, had an artistic side, and have always been interested in art. Haven't necessarily been that good at it my people always came out looking kind of funny 
yeah, I, I guess I've always had an art sensibility and a, and a desire to to do something with art. And uh, now photography has really given me that opportunity uh, to, to more fully express myself. Yeah, and one of the things we had asked you, what is your style? Where do you get your ideas? And I love that, that you talk about that you love the dark, the shadows. I think that goes with all art. I was looking at a, a recent um, painting that one of my friends did here, and it was it was a mesquite slope, and, but what was amazing with it was the shadows. He did such a great job with the shadows. So, and and yeah. shadows to me as a photographer, I was taking some pictures yesterday, and I always have okay. There's the shadow, and now how do I bring out what's in the shadow? And you obviously do a very good job of that. Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by it. I I. Uh... Especially like, like when things are in the shadow, they're a little, you know, perhaps undefined, uncertain, and there's some ambiguity, but maybe there's just enough and you can make out some detail. Uh, I find that fascinating, you know, to have everything spelled out and just laid before you, you know, very obvious is to me not as interesting. There's always, you know, a feel that with a little bit of mystery, I think, you know, helps, helps things certainly from the artistic perspective. Yeah, absolutely. What, what um, editing packages do you use? Uh, of course, I well, or 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 many. Old. I mean, I use many. So, I don't know whether you yeah. kind of have a main one or. Yeah, I mean, I use Photoshop for just about everything I do. Um, certainly for night photography because I'm combining different, uh, you know, different frames and stacking them to help reduce noise and. Uh, you know, different shots for the, the land and the sky that are, where the settings are optimized for each so I can, you know, control the noise. And then from there, just the, the controls that I have in you know, the tonality and really trying to bring out, well, I guess, what I want, what I want to say with the piece. I mean, it's kind of hard for me to articulate it. It's just something I do. You know, I don't want to take just straight from the camera, whatever the camera gives me. Although, I will say that, you know, the camera is certainly my partner. You know, certainly when I'm dealing with, you know, night photography and infrared photography, I'm dealing with things that typically exceed the limits of human visual perception. And so uh, in that sense, the camera is definitely a, definitely a full partner in this because the camera is able to show me things that I may not be able to see with my own eyes, which also helps inspire me. Uh, yeah, interesting that my cousin's wife says when she would look at my Milky Way shots and say, you edited that. And I would say, no, the camera's eyes can just stay open longer than mine. <laughs> yes. And no blinking. <laughs> yeah, no blinking. We talked about rules. And my son, is he's a professional. And, you know, going out with him, I would drive him crazy because um, I don't know of any rules, rules of thirds or whatever, you know. And, and you talked about no rule is absolute. You want to talk a little bit more about that? Oh, I see. Rules? The most hated rule is the rule of thirds. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I say no rule is absolute. I mean, there are rules have their purpose. Uh, they are guides. They help to get you somewhere. Maybe that's not where you want to go, or maybe there's somewhere else that's more interesting to go. That blindly following the same rules that everyone else does in your art, maybe all you end up with is art that looks like what everybody else is doing. Of course, you have to know the rules before you know when you can break them but you know there's it to me it's, it's not necessarily and yeah and i mentioned the rule of thirds which is you know for those that don't know you divide the frame into thirds horizontally and vertically and 
you know, your subject should be on one of those lines or one of the intersections, and which to me is, is not, I mean, it, yes, there are times when it works. There are also plenty of times when, when it doesn't. But to me, I let the subject dictate to me really what, what rules I follow. You know, if it's a, a subject that I really want to emphasize something and I want to stick it down there and in the corner to really emphasize the great expanse behind it, certainly then that's the time that, uh, you know, I would not be following typical rules. Um, composition, uh, or at least not that one. Yeah, I, I don't. E- I don't even think about the rule of thirds until I see someone who has a really good photo. Which I have a friend here, and and she takes these beautiful bird pictures, and the birds always over onto the third, and she's always got a branch or something, you know, very artsy. And my God, like, oh, there's the rules of thirds. That doesn't she do well? I wish I could do yeah. that. We also talked because I think uh, creativity is, I mean, that's the word. The way you explained it, I don't know whether you're looking at it or you can talk to it off the top of your head, but I loved how you explained it. Yeah, to me, it's it's really, it's, it's making something that didn't exist before. Being creative is taking, you know, maybe taking the materials that you have at hand and making something else. Uh, you know, maybe taking what is and instead of making something else that is making something that could be and i hope it, I, I hope everybody listening will think about that for a minute because that's a pretty profound statement and and that's why we're here can all take <laughs> we can all take a picture of the same thing but we all can't take a picture of something different yeah well i guess we can if we try hard enough if we try to be creative <laughs> yeah and it's, it's it's part of you know it's not just using as your materials what's what's around you what's outside you but it's also using what's inside you you know seeing a scene and maybe this is this is what it is but you know could it be something else does it suggest something to you you know just like looking at the clouds when you you know see shapes in the clouds you know i mean it's 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 that kind of thing and if you do see a shape in in the cloud or or you know whatever else you're doing is there some way that you could process that image to make that more apparent or to make that more the uh you know make that more the subject of you know the, the photograph what it is your or or the artwork whatever it is you're doing to really bring that out it's fun to play around with things and reimagine things oh yes it is yeah and that's the good thing about digital isn't it yeah yeah because mess around with it and then just throw it away Do you ever do you ever dream about photography? I do dream sometimes about when I've been in what could have been hazardous situations. Uh, you know, those those do come back to me. You know, when I'm at the top of a cliff and photographing, and you know, I guess that kind of somehow sticks in my mind and comes back to me where I'm you know back there in peril again. Although at the time. I was smart enough to put my tripod, you know, far enough back from the edge because, you know, when I'm out at night and sleep deprived and not fully thinking, I want to make sure there's no chance if I just forget that that cliff's there and walk around the end of my camera, I want to make sure there's no chance that I'm, you know, going to be down at the bottom. But uh, Oh, you must have been hiking or crawling around the Capitol Reef National Park. Oh, yeah. And, and, and elsewhere. Yeah. So there have been a number of times when, you know, because that's where the views are. You go to the edge, just um, not right up to the edge. I, you know, you can get just as good a picture, you know, five, ten feet back as you can right at the edge. 
Yeah, so that's the only thing really. I mean, I don't, I don't really dream of making art or, or anything like that. But you know, those those times come back to me, even though I'm, you know, made it back safe and sound, and you know, there there were there were no problems. That for some reason, sometimes those still do come back to me, and and I'm back there again, and hoping nothing happens. Uh, you know what? That kind of brings up to me that um, when I first started night photography, um, I would be out there by myself. And there would be sounds, and I wasn't scared. And I always wondered why. Why? Why wasn't I scared? If I wasn't with my camera, would I be scared? Hmm. <laughs> you know, you're you're out, and there's nobody for miles away. Does that ever creep you out? Actually, when I know that there's no one around, I, I feel a little safer because uh, you know you never know what people are going to do. But although I've yeah I haven't been in any has you know dangerous situations tonight, but. Uh, yeah, when you're right, when you're, you know, that when there were no other cars at the trailhead and, uh, you know, you see no lights, you know, nobody else is out there. But, um, yeah, it, it, you're right. It is the sounds because at nighttime when you can't, you can't see like, like you can during the day, obviously. You're not in control of the situation like you are during the day just because you, you can't really see what's, what's going on around you. I mean, you can make out dim shapes and, you know, some shadow. Um, but yeah, and I, I find that it's really the uh, the sound and, and not the sights that really imprint themselves on my memory. I find that uh, you know I find myself connecting with the landscape in, in a much more visceral way than, than I do during the day at night because yeah, it, it's the sounds and you're not sure what it is some some far off creature or, or something and uh, you know or the uh, wind whistling by and you know you swear you could hear voices but you know nobody's there you know these things they imprint themselves on on your memory and uh and that's what you remember yeah i I just it's good for the soul i enjoy it so much that it's quiet you know but then you may hear a pack of coyotes gone and it's just geez if i wasn't here i wouldn't be having this experience Exactly. Yes, my camera has taken me places that you know, without it, that I would not have gone. You know, you really develop an, an emotional connection uh, with you know this this machine. Really, that it's you know I've experienced things that I would not have if I were not doing photography. Uh, you know, that's that's clear to me. You know, there are times when I've come away from you know a location and you know maybe I didn't end up with anything that I would really consider a great photograph. But the experience that I had was just really something that, uh, you know, that's what made it a special experience for me. So, and, and maybe this is unique to me, but um, I'm, I, I do time lapse. So I'll set the camera up and I'll go to sleep. Okay, but do you ever have time when, you, when you're going back, when you get home and you're editing and you get to a picture, an image, and you see something on there that's very interesting that you didn't see with your eyes, but the camera picked up? Yeah, I'd say, you know, meteor showers would be one. You know, when you're out shooting all night, of course, it's, you know, there's only so long you're going to stay awake. Yeah, so that's one time that, uh, you know, I was like, oh, that's a pretty one. And, of course, meteors, you can't see the colors like, uh, you know, like the camera can. And also, uh, you know, trying to look at the you know, the, the image on the, the, the little screen on the back of the camera, I mean, you can only see so much. And, you know, when you get home, you're able to put it on the big screen on, you know, the computer, you know, and, and really see the detail, you know, see what you got. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely been times when, you know, I've been really happy with, uh, oh, yeah, that really worked. Okay. I thought I, I thought I had something going there, but, yeah, it really worked. 
Yeah, there's um, people I'll, I'll shoot a lot near Area 51 out near Rachel, Nevada, mainly because there's no airplanes that fly out there, you know, unless they're military. And so I don't have to I don't have to worry about erasing any of that. But you know, I'll go back the next day, you know, because I fell asleep and took pictures all night. Is there a UFO there? And there never is, darn it. <laughs> They're invisible, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, I I could I, I could put one in, you know, but I could Photoshop one in, but <laughs> I don't think anybody would believe me. So tell us about your time in Capitol Reef. That you and I have that together. That I was um, night sky photographer in 2022, and you followed me in 2023. And you want to talk sure. a little bit about that experience? Um, maybe even sure. Paul talk a little about about. I assume we'll have some photographers here about um, how you. Um, but you've been night sky. I mean, you have been artist in residence at a couple of places. Maybe you want to give some tips and tricks for folks who who aspire. Well, let's see. Um, what should we start with? Um, yeah, talk talk about becoming an artist in residence, or you know, or getting the nod. Yeah, you know, because I, for yeah, me, um, for me, I've been turned down way more than I've than I've gotten it. So. Yeah, well, I, I think we all have, and that's just the way it goes. Um, yeah, I had uh, at the, one of the evening programs, I had someone ask me, so uh, how do you become an artist in residence? And I told him, well, you're applying to get accepted. Of course, you, know, you knew that already, right? So, But, uh, yeah, that's I mean, that's the short answer. Um, if you don't apply, then you you got no chance of getting accepted. Being, you know, becoming an artist in residence, uh, making the cut, you know, one thing you have to understand is there is a lot of competition for this and depending on the park you know you may be competing against you know 40 some people you may be competing against 240 some people you know and some of them you know some of them generally the parks have anywhere from two to five slots that they will have available each year for those parks that do participate and so yeah i mean if, if it's a park that's only got two slots and you know they just had a photographer and now it's time for them to have a painter well you know then that's the way it's going to go. Yeah, it, it is very competitive, and I would say one thing is definitely if you do not get accepted, that doesn't mean that, you know, your art stinks. It just means there are a whole lot of people, and, um, you know, the park where you applied, it, you know, if they gave a chance to everybody, it might take 50 years. That's just the way it is. But I think as far as ensuring that you make a good application, you know, figure out what is, what is it that you do, that you do well, that maybe others don't do. And then if you can accentuate that, then either they will like it or they won't. If that's that will be something that they're looking for or it's not. And if it is, well, then that gives you a little better chance than, you know, maybe someone else. So uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is don't try to submit an application demonstrating that you are what you think they want. Uh, you have to figure out what it is that you are first. And once you know what it is that you are, that's the application you need to make. It'll either be what they're looking for or it won't. And if it is, though, then, yeah, then you got a chance. Yeah, good advice. So, And and then, and, and I think the other advice is that you know, don't get disappointed because I, I think I got accepted. It was my third or fourth try. And, um, you know, I was told, you know, hey, you don't give up. So I, I, yeah, I, I like that. So they, they knew who I was. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, so the earlier applications didn't hurt me. They helped me. 
Yeah, and if you can figure out what it is, you know, if there's something that they liked or didn't like, or you know, if you can get any feedback. I mean, the ones that get a whole lot of applications and say, you know, we don't, we we can't give you individual feedback, then yeah, they, they, you aren't going to hear back from them. But you know, some others, you know, you may be able to ask. You know, were there any comments? I mean, obviously they don't they don't have time to really do that for everybody. And I know park staff is all the parks seem to be understaffed, just as you know. I'm, government just seems to be everywhere where you know everybody's trying to do take on more of the workload because uh, you know hey i had a career working for a place that was always understaffed yeah it's just the way it is you know you got the employees trying to do the best they can and and you know you can kind of tell that when in some of these conversations with some of these people i mean obviously they're not getting back to you right away but they do get back to you yeah and then you know and who knows what other duties they got on on top of them because it's not like Managing the artist residence program as their full-time job. You know, I'm sure they got some other job that they're supposed to be doing at the same time. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about after you got selected, um, arriving and getting ready and making sure all your equipment was there and charging your batteries and anything Certainly. else you had. Yeah. So after I after I heard that I'd been selected, um, I did some research and made a list of you know what kind of shots maybe I might want to try to do. So I'd at least have something there and wouldn't arrive and just you know be looking around like okay now what? This was not my first trip to Capitol Reef. I had been there some years prior. It was uh, actually my first trip to the American Southwest was uh, to Capitol Reef and Canyonlands, and uh, so I, I had some idea of what to expect. Uh, which helped me. Yeah, so I, I did some research ahead of time and, you know, put out my old maps and, and notes and things and figure out maybe what kind of shots I wanted to get. And, uh, you know, I had some idea of what locations would be like, so what, you know, what kind of conditions I could expect. Spent a lot of time uh, packing and repacking to make sure that my luggage wasn't overweight for the airlines. <laughs> oh, that's right. And, you uh, had to, You had to fly. Yeah, and, and make sure I could uh, carry it too. So I had my, my rolling duffel and my uh, uh, backpack. I had to be really selective on the equipment that I brought, you know, try to figure out what is it that I'm really going to use, what, what is it that would be nice to have, but you know, am I really going to use it? Because there's always that. I'm happy to say that uh, just about everything that I brought I used, so, so that worked out. For the time that I was going to be there, of course, was the time of the annual solar eclipse. So I knew I needed to take take at least uh, one good telephoto lens to be able to shoot that. And I had recently purchased telephoto lens, which was uh, lighter than the uh, the one that I had been using. I was able to figure out how to get carry that onto the plane with me and bring it back. So <laughs> didn't lose anything. That's good. Yeah, once I got there, I had an idea of what kind of shots I wanted, maybe not necessarily where they would be. It's about the first week I spent scouting. You know, hiking trails, looking for super locations that might, might present uh, good photographic opportunities uh, for nighttime photography. And uh, also, I had the uh, super moon coming up at the end of that week. So uh, that first week anyway, as far as, you know, getting good nighttime shots, you know, the stars and Milky Way was, was not really going to happen because it was approaching the full moon and, you know, around the time of the full moon. So the, the first task was finding a place to shoot the supermoon. I ended up shooting that from the roof of the residence and then not really being satisfied, fully satisfied with the image I got. So the next day I headed out to Cathedral Valley, uh, which for those who are not familiar with Capitol Reef is basically a, a large desert area um, that is, you know, it's really off the beaten path and you have to have a uh, 
good high clearance vehicle, four wheel drive helps to uh, navigate the roads, if I can really call them roads. So certainly nothing, it was nothing paved. It was, you know, dirt roads uh, through the area. Yeah, so let I me just interrupt there. Did, did you, did you, yeah. rent, you rented a four wheel drive? Yes, I rented a Jeep, which was, yeah, that's that's why one reason I didn't didn't drive because I knew I'd need a a um, you know four wheel drive to to get around. Yeah, Cathedral Valley is um, yeah rugged. So I had the Superman shot then shot something there, which was, uh, which I was much happier with, and then uh, then the next next up was the, uh, the Eclipse. I knew I had to find a great great location for the Eclipse. And, you know, I knew I had to get it right. And it, it felt, and I'll be honest, it did feel like a lot of pressure because, uh, you know, with an eclipse, there are no do-overs with an eclipse. You only have four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, a, a full moon, I mean, if you blow that one, okay. Uh, you know, there'll be, there'll be, you got several in a year. But uh, eclipse, yeah, it, you know, maybe what, it's a decade or, or whatever it is. I spent a lot of time searching for locations. They had several possible locations and then, Ended up back in, uh, you know, the Cathedral Valley area in the Lower South Desert uh, by Jailhouse Rock, which which is a big rock formation that I could, I just realized that I could shoot the the sun as it rose in the sky and the eclipse progressed along one side and then move my location so that I could get it uh, close to the other side because I had a telephoto lens, which I wanted to use to get a you know decent shot of it so it wouldn't just be a little tiny thing in the frame. That also meant that the sun needed to be close to the landscape, close enough so that it was in the same frame. And I needed something where I had the freedom of movement so I could adjust my location if things weren't quite right. So I ended up camping out there the night before, and uh, you know, so I'd be ready. I didn't want to you know, risk the eclipse driving somewhere and you know being not ready, not set up when, when the eclipse started. Yeah, or, I mean, certainly, you know, with the location where I was going, you know, then that was, you know, I knew that would take some time to get there and then hiking out there. And, yeah, uh, because I wanted the landscape in the shot as well, and which basically ended up being like a silhouette. But, uh, yeah, so then that was, and then I, was, I guess that was about the middle of my residency. And then from there, yeah, and then, and then of course, approaching there, and, you know, there, and then I could start shooting the Milky Way because the, uh, you know, of course, the eclipse was at the time of the new moon. Yeah, and then from there, it was just uh, starting to go down the list of things that I had, you know, locations I'd scouted my first week and possible locations and, you know, looking through and, and trying to figure out, okay, which of these seems the most appealing, which, you know, which can I do, you know, taking into account how much time it's going to get there, it's going to take to get there and uh, time to get back and, you know, do I need to... Uh, do I need to camp somewhere to be able to get the shot, which I did several times. I spent a couple of nights at the Cathedral Valley Campground, which is a primitive campground, meaning they got a pit toilet, and that's that's it. But you know, having a seat to sit on is, is a lot nicer than what the other alternative is. And I also did uh, several short uh, backpacking trips, overnight trips, so that I could be in locations and get the shots I wanted and then you know get some sleep without having to hike out and drive out for several hours. Briefly, that's pretty much how it went. I mean, I had a system in the in the house where I had the uh, the battery chargers uh, in the uh, outlet by the door. So when I came in, I'd take the used batteries out of my pocket and put those in the charger. And when I went back out, I would you know make sure make sure I'd be able to see them and you know, carry carry the uh, charge batteries out along with my uh, water bottles and you know refilled. 
make sure I had something and, you know, make sure I had some food in the, uh, the Jeep um, in case it was somewhere where I was going to be going somewhere and then, you know, cooking dinner on top of the uh, backpack and so. Yeah, it was it was an amazing experience. Did you bring the laptop and edited your pictures there as you took them? I did. Yeah, I had had you know, I have a ten year old laptop which is on its last legs, but it still works. And yeah, so I brought that and a hard drive that uh, has has my images on it. Yeah, so I, I did do some editing there, and so I was able to assemble a uh, you know PowerPoint presentation for the for my presentations, you know, showing images from Capitol Reef. Since I guess that's what people were there to see. That's what they were there to see. I found out for me, I slept more during the day because I was gone all night. And yes, I'm, naps. Yeah, sure. Naps you had... are definitely uh, <laughs> required. And uh, yeah, you do enough night photography, you learn when you're going to need your naps. And you know, for me, that's early afternoon. And I just know that you know, because otherwise, you, you don't want to. Um, yeah, when you start going on too little sleep, then you know if you're driving somewhere and you start to get drowsy, that's that's not a situation you want to be in. So yeah, I make sure I allow time for naps. So you want to talk about the Brimahall House? Sure. It is. Um, I don't really know much about the history of it. Uh, I did hear that about seven years ago. I guess when they uh, when they were going to start. The, the artist in residence program at Capitol Reef that the building itself was in a, such a state that it either needed to be renovated or torn down. The uh, uh, association there, uh, Capitol Reef Association, uh, put up uh, uh, blade, you know, about half the money, and then I guess the Park Service put up the rest, and you know they got it renovated. But it is a two-story house. The second story is basically like. Um, half of the house it is um right there on the edge of one of the orchards in frida and it is flanked by rock on um, you know the huge rock formations on all sides you know so you got the, the beauty of the orchard with the green there and uh sunrise that that can be seen from um breakfast area the, the dining table and uh, upstairs it has several bedrooms and upstairs I guess what you would call the master bedroom. There's a half bath there. And there's also a little room that's, you know, kind of like a studio. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure that's how most artists use it. But, uh, you know, it has windows on on the two sides there and, uh, you know, looking out over at the orchard. So actually one, uh, one of my images I shot from there one morning, got up one morning and uh, saw how beautiful the, the sky looked. This was in the early dawn and decided, you know what, now I'm going to get my tripod and we're going to take a picture of this right here. And uh, I was really happy with that, how that came out. It's, it's amazing accommodations for an artist because of the spot where it is and the views, you know, you can get. And I think some artists have made art directly from the building. But also it is very close to the Venus, you know, within walking distance of the visitor center. So it's very easy to get there to the administrative building uh, for the park. Housing for park staff is uh, just down the road, and then you know, being being where it is, it's pretty much at the you know where where the visitor center is. It's at the crossroads of which dire whichever direction you want to go to get to whichever part of the park. So it's you know, it is pretty centrally located, and it's uh, it, yeah, it's it's it's, 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 a, it's a it's a great place to stay, isn't it? Roads full of houses, never home. 
church full of singing Out of tune Everyone's gone to the moon I want to go back in March or April. I want to go down to Assateague Island, and I want to take the Milky Way rising out of the Atlantic Ocean. Have you ever been able to do that living in North Carolina? Yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, um, yeah, on the East Coast, you know, the uh, the best place to uh, to catch the Milky Way is over the Atlantic Ocean because, you know, there's, there's no light pollution there. You know, there are some other spots where, it, you know, you may find some reasonably dark skies, certainly nothing on the scale of, uh, you know, out in the, in, in the southwest, you know, or, or like Capitol Reef. Yes, and actually those were some of my first Milky Way photos, you know, other than, you know, in my very first Milky Way photo was uh, um, maybe about half an hour from my house at a out at a lake, because I figured, well, a lake is probably going to be a place where there's not going to be, you know, there'll be the least amount of development around because it's, you know, it's a lake. Um, but yeah, beyond that, uh, out at the beach was uh, here in North Carolina's Outer Banks was where I went to uh, take Metro um, Ray photos. And actually, I went back to the same beach uh, three years in a row because it took me that long to get something that I was actually halfway happy with. The first time was just sort of a uh, trial run. The second time, I tried some uh, uh, adding some lighting to the landscape and realized that definitely does not work for what I wanted to do. And uh, yeah, then the third time. So I went back out and, and actually was able to get something that I was, you know, at the time was, was pretty happy with. So, well, it's on my bucket list. I got to get back out. <laughs> yeah. So, um, let's, so let's talk technical here just a second. Exposure length. And since I do time lapse, you know, I don't care if there's a little bit of blur because you know, I'm doing a time lapse. But w- w- what do you use? I, I normally use 20 seconds. Or, or do you use a, or do you use a Polari where um, you're you're moving the camera with the stars? I own a tracker. I have not used it yet because when I'm trying to get something done, I just honestly I just haven't had the time to mess with it. As well as you know the the extra weight of carrying around you know whatever equipment I need to do, and I I know I can get what I can get with you know with with my current setup. So yeah, I have I own a tracker, but I have not used it. And that's something that I do want to do. It's something I intended to do at uh, Capitol Reef, and I just I didn't have the time. I don't know why in four weeks I didn't have the time, but that's just the way it worked. But yeah, for uh, for me, I, I I used to use when I started like 20, 25 seconds, and I now do 13 seconds. I um, I stack images of the sky so I can use a shorter exposure length exposure time and with the stacking which is taking multiple frames and then you know basically aligning them and then averaging them all together uh you know i can greatly reduce the noise with that i'm able to use a shorter time which also gives me a better chance of capturing the star colors and not just you know blown out white um and then for the shots for the land i will take separate shots of land at lower sensitivity which depending on, you know, available light pollution could just, or, you know, uh, available light if it's, you know, an astronomical twilight could just be a couple minutes to maybe five or six minutes. Um, a capital reef, I also experimented with some long exposures for star trails. Typically in the past, uh, for when I've done star trails, you know, so you see the, the streaks of the stars as they move through the sky. 
in the past, I've just used my normal settings uh, for, you know, pinpoint stars and then just uh, combined all those images together. At Capital Reef, I also experimented uh, doing some at, you know, maybe like a single exposure at five minutes and just doing a bunch of those or, or maybe um, a single exposure at 10 or 15 minutes, uh, which usually is frowned upon because uh, you know when you start getting exposures that length you can end up with more digital noise anyway i you know had the opportunity as well and, and a second camera and well let's try this and see how it works cool so i i think some of that actually worked out so yeah the, the residency also gave me the opportunity to experiment with uh you know some of my settings and maybe experiment with some of my um, typical practices and you know see see what i get yeah, well, you got it all night, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. Talk to me about Mount Fuji. Mount Fuji. I, I saw I saw pictures on there. You had something about Mount Fuji. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was that was from a vacation to uh, Japan. Let's see, we've been twice. That was in 2011 and 2016. So the ones from Fuji were. 2016 and yeah we were staying at a place on the shores of a lake which was around uh, mount fuji that was when i was you know really kind of starting uh to get into night photography and so you know i had a little bit of experience with it certainly nowhere certainly not where i am today yeah i had you know planned this place where we we're going to stay where i would have the opportunity to you know as close enough where i could go out to the shores of the lake take some photographs of it i you know one thing that I discovered was that, you know, the people, uh, there are people who climb Mount Fuji because they want, you know, so they can be there and see the sunrise, you know, from the top. And, of course, that means they're climbing at night. And so when I was taking photographs back later, you know, of course, you can see the, the lights, like little, like look like little stars, you know, climbing the, the, yeah. of the mountain. And um, when I look back at the images later, you know, as I, you know, flip through them, you could see the lights, you know, progressing up the either side of the uh, the mountain, which was, uh, you know, I guess it's kind of obvious if you think about it, but at the time it's like, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, if you knew them, you could sell them those shots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think they recognize themselves. <laughs> My first awe experience at seeing the dark sky and particularly the Milky Way, I remember it well. Do you have that memory of your first awe moment? with the dark sky yes i mean it's you know looking looking at the sky is like i think that's where the milky way is but i'm not really sure and so you point the camera in that direction and you put in the settings that you know the that you got from the ebook and you look at the back of the camera and it's like wow look at that there it is and uh yeah because i mean you know i'd I'd grown up you know never 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 saw the milky way you know living on the east coast I read an article uh, and about uh, night photography and, you know, equipment you need, and I realized that it's like, wow, the uh, the camera and the lens, the wide-angle lens that I just bought, uh, you know, those are, are well-known in the night photography world. Uh, and, you know, I thought, wow, I could do this. Yeah, you know, I went out and and uh, gave it a try, you know, after purchasing an e-book or two. And... Um, yeah, that's that was really amazing, and I think there was one time. I guess the first time that I really went to a national park to photograph the Milky Way was um, on a business trip to Austin. I was there for a uh, class, and um, you know, once the class had finished, I 
I had uh, delayed my return for a few days, went to uh, Big Bend National Park in Texas. Yeah, I remember on the flight back thinking, you know, I got these images of the Milky Way on my camera, and I just wanted to tell somebody, of course, you know, the guy said next week, I'm going to care. <laughs> but, uh, you know, to me, it's like, wow, you know, look at this. So, yes. And, and, and that's why, that, that is the reason I love my photography is it is just, you know, these these wow moments, like you say, these images that, that you can get, the, you know, the things that the camera can see that you can't see with your eyes, or maybe you can see something, you know, faintly. Uh, and and it's certainly if you're in a dark sky place, you know, yes, you can see the Milky Way. Of course, you can't see the colors like, you know, and the clarity like the camera can. Yeah, it's it's really amazing that, you know, something like that exists and it's been there all along. And I just haven't known about it. What's inspired you this past week? This past week? Well, I just returned uh, Friday last week. I returned home from uh, Capitol Reef. Prior to my departure, I, uh, I spent a night in the uh, um, Labyrinth Canyon wilderness. Um, I drove uh, out to a location where there was uh, an, an arch that I had heard about that I wanted to photograph. And I, in a short backpacking trip out there, and I just uh, set up my tent right around the corner from it. And so I could be, you know, go shoot it, you know, maybe perhaps throughout the night. Of course, clouds rolled in and pretty much stuck around through uh, most of the night. So that didn't really do much for night shots. But um, I was out there for the dawn. And, um, yeah, wow, that was really an amazing, just because I could see that it was getting a little bit lighter uh, on the horizon, but I really couldn't tell how it was affecting the landscape. And when I took some shots of that and saw and really what the camera was seeing was it was a warm glow not just there but you know uh, lighting up the rock in front of me that was you know that that was really um inspiring to to see that and then and of course you know as the sun continued to come up and it's like wow is this is just an amazing experience here to be here and to see this that, that probably counts as, as it as as well as you know just looking through my images now and you know trying to work on processing them and, and getting them ready for people to see it's um it's just amazing what i've been able to capture and and you know what what the camera is able to see for me and uh that you know that continues to inspire me Yes. So I, I would say. Well, Paul, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate it. I'm inspired with yours. It's really nice to talk with someone who does the same thing that I do and yeah. and uh, hangs out at night and is not scared. And <laughs> Of course, I can't let you go without, without, you, without you telling me uh, something about your experience at Capillary. Oh, it was, it was 38 days, and I just had a blast. I was, you know, out every night and come home and sleep during the day and edit and maybe the, one of the best things was just sitting in that back room um overlooking the orchard editing my pictures yeah so yeah. and and the, the people were great um i loved uh i loved all the the rangers and everybody who worked there were nice and um i did get to interview uh sue Sue Fritzke, who was who was the mm -hmm. manager, because for me, I'm always talking about this darn podcast. I probably bother people to death. No, you're here to do. <laughs> and and Don and Annie and all the people at, at um, 
and Trotta, they were great. And yeah, and and getting the sunflower bread at I forget the name of the store, but yeah, love Capitol Reef, love Tory. Yeah, I was I was a little sad, you know, when I was heading out, driving out that last time, you know, driving down the same road that I've been down, um, you know, heading out somewhere fun. But this time I wasn't going to be turning left or right. I was just going straight and I was going to keep going. And, you know, the good thing you had, you didn't have the road construction. <laughs> while I was yeah, there, was a... while I was there, we had the road construction and it was pilot cars. And so you wanted, when you wanted to wow. go into town, you had to, you had to know you were going to spend a little time. Oh boy! So, and my son came out with me for a little while, so he was there for a week. So, okay. Yeah, and that was fun. You know, of course, that whole week he was there, um, it stormed. So I think we were doing more lightning chasing <laughs> than we were doing Milky Way chasing. But that was fun as yeah. well. Okay. Well, you have um, a wonderful week. Yeah, you too. It was nice talking with you. Yeah, and, and, and we'll talk some more, I'm sure. Paul, th- thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, bye-bye. Okay. All right, bye. Broadcasting from Mesquite, Nevada, in the scenic Mojave Desert, the Art Box sponsors thank you for listening. To find our next and past podcasts, find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, where all accompanying images and links are available on the Art Box page. Questions, comments, opinions, and concerns can be sent to artboxvv at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Virgin Valley Artists Association.